Well, sometimes the greatest work we can do is simply to stop and look at Jesus. To allow our vision of him to simply fill us, heart and mind, to dwell in that presence of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more from the inside out into the likeness of Jesus. That's it. Just stop and be in awe of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work within us. I bring that up because in this morning's passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul creates one of the fullest, most evocative and mysterious images of Jesus in all of Scripture, and in part because it's so encapsulated. Within these six short verses, we have a vision both of God and of human beings that can save us and transform us. Within these six short verses, we have the essentials of all that we need to know about God and ourselves. A professor of mine, a former professor of mine, uh, who was actually also a graduate of Seattle Pacific at the time it was Seattle Pacific College, Gordon Fee, uh, in his commentary about the letter to the Philippians, puts it this way. The ultimate paradigm of a genuinely Christian mindset is Christ himself, who is the premier manifestation of the character of God, which God is trying to reproduce in God's people so that they might also thereby be truly human. Paul here presents the essential matters of Christ's story which he narrates with such exalted fashion, full of passion and poetry, that what serves as the centerpiece of our letter is in many ways the centerpiece of the entire New Testament. Wow, just in these six verses, this is in some ways, Gordon Fee notes, the centerpiece of the entire New Testament in part because this vision of Jesus reveals to us the character of God and our path to full humanity. Listen again to uh, this passage. And this time I'll just for a little change to give it a little fresh reading. I'll, I'll read it from the message. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life 
and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Excuse me. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything, ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before, the Jesus, before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is Lord of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Perhaps the most astonishing image here is all that Christ sacrificed, all that Christ gave up to come and be with us. First, he gives up all status as God. Again, verse 6 in the NIV is, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's a, it's a difficult passage to translate from the Greece, but the Greece, the Greek, but uh, the NIV gets at it here, it, it, that this status wasn't something to be to be gripped and held onto. And literally, actually, the, the word stands for either to grasp or to rob, to steal. Even though Christ had the status of God, Christ didn't clutch on to that privilege and power, didn't hold on to it at all costs. In fact, gave it up willingly. Not only gave up all of his privilege, but entered into the fallenness and the brokenness of humankind. He became a human being. Verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And even within that humanity, Jesus lived a poor and even humiliating life, not just humbling, but humiliating. In verse 8, we, we hear again that he, being found in appearance as a person, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the most horrible kind of death imaginable and the most unglorious, the most dishonorable because it was reserved for traitors and for the worst of criminals. So again, Gordon Fee has a great reminder for us about the humiliation of Jesus's form of death. He writes, no one in Philippi to whom Paul was writing, no one in Philippi used the cross as a symbol for their faith. There were no gold crosses embossed on Bibles or worn as pendants around the neck or lighted on the steeple of the local church. The cross was God's and thus their scandal, God's contradiction of human wisdom and power. That the one they worshipped as Lord was crucified as a state criminal at the hands of one of Lord Caesar's proconsuls. That the Almighty appeared in human form 
and that he should do so in a way in this way as a messiah who died by crucifixion this is a scandal gordon fee notes and all of that reveals to us the character of god jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We believe that the life and death of Jesus reveals the character of God in part because of what we believe happened after his death, which is what we hear in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, because of all this that Jesus did, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This part of Paul's vision reveals the vindication of Jesus's way of life. All of humankind's foes have been conquered through him. Humiliation, suffering, death. So God has taken the name of the one who experienced all those things, Jesus, in the Hebrew Yeshua, the one who conquered all of those things and made that name that represents all of that the greatest name of all, Jesus. The anointed one, Christos in Greek, Kurios, Lord. This vision of Jesus that Paul gives us reveals to us the character of God and the path for us as human beings. In his humanity, Jesus lived the life God had desired for all human beings. But as we heard in our Hebrew First Testament scripture, as human beings, we had not done a very good job the first time around in being as God had desired us to be. In fact, the serpent says, oh, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? That You won't die. In fact, you'll be a lot like God. So the woman and the man, because he was standing right there, they both kind of looked at that and said, wow, that might be kind of good. And so they ate from that tree and they did know. So they grasped at something that wasn't theirs. There are a lot of commentaries, in fact, that believe that the reason that Paul used the word that he used in his vision about Jesus not grasping is to be in contrast with that vision of the first human beings, the first couple, and where we went wrong. Humanity in that first story wasn't satisfied with our status as less than God, even though we owed everything to God. We tried to grasp, to steal what wasn't ours. And we hear that such was still a problem 
even with Jesus' own disciples, his best friends. In that story that we had from the gospel passage, when John and James come say, hey, Jesus, we want to do something. We want you to make us powerful and your, your right hand and your left hand man. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not it. That's not for me to give to you. Um, and it's interesting. I think that the others, when they hear about the conversation that they had, the others are upset, it says, and probably because James and John got to Jesus before they did, before they got a chance to ask for the same thing. But Jesus said that that is not the way for any of his disciples. Verses 42 through 45. Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how it's the godless rulers who throw their weight around. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It is not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your servant. This is what the Son of Man has done. God in flesh came to serve, not to be served, and then to give his life away in exchange for many who were held in hostage. Paul's vision of Jesus that he shares with the Philippians reveals not only the character of God, but also the path of life for all human beings. Paul actually sets up this vision of Jesus with this introduction. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality something to be grasped. Jesus's path of love, of obedience to God, of self-giving, is the way we are to follow as well. Again, Gordon Fee puts all of this together for us. He writes, In Jesus Christ, the true nature of the living God has been revealed ultimately and finally. God is not a grasping, self-centered being. God is most truly known through the one whose equality with God found expression in his pouring himself out in sacrificial love by taking the lowest place, the role of a servant, and whose love for his human creatures found consummate expression in his death on the cross. That Christ serves for us as a paradigm for Christian life reinforces a significant aspect of Paul's gospel, namely that there is no genuine life in Christ that is not at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit being regularly transformed into the likeness of Christ. That this is what God is like is the underlying point. And since God is in the process of recreating us in his image, this becomes the very heart of Paul's appeal. We are not called upon simply to imitate God by what we do, but to have his very mind, the mind of Christ, developed in us 
so that we too bear God's image in our attitudes and relationships within the Christian community and beyond. Paul's vision for us, or Paul's vision of Christ reveals for us the way of Christ, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the way of Christ. And that is why I am so vocal in my disgust for some of the leadership of our country. Trump, McConnell, Bill Barr, Mike Pence, people who claim the mantle of Christianity, but whose actions are exactly opposite of Christianity of the way of Christ. They have stolen power and privilege for themselves and added it to what they already had. And they're not merely clutching on to power, grasping it. They are trying to steal it, literally in criminal ways, let alone unethical ways. This is not the way of Jesus Christ. In fact, as an example of the way of Christ, some of you have likely seen lately a copy of the letter that President George H.W. Bush left for the incoming president, Bill Clinton, um, when he was moving into the Oval Office. It's been on uh, a lot of social media of late because of the contrast with the current occupant. H.W. Bush was the incumbent president and he could have served another four years if he had won the election. He didn't. Bill Clinton did. But rather than seek to grasp on to that power at all costs, President Bush let go graciously. He left a handwritten letter to Bill Clinton to be found by the new president when he moved into the Oval Office. And it reads like this. January 20th, 1993, Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think it's fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. Even though President Bush knew that that course was very different than what he would have done. He says, don't let them push you off course. You will be, this is the part that gets me, with all that's going on in our country right now, you will be our president, and he underlines our. When you read these words, I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is now our country's success, and I am rooting for you. I didn't expect to get this choked up, but 
That's the way of Christ. That's the way of Christ. We all know that H.W. and Clinton had their own failings and every president that has followed. None of us consistently follow the way of Christ. None of us. Loving others as well as ourselves, obeying God at all times, no matter what the consequences, sacrificing our own power and privilege for the benefit of others. And yet, the Spirit of Christ is at work within us, both as individuals and as a congregation, to continue to form us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's why, until the day we are united together with Christ fully, sometimes the most important thing we can do is stop and behold Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks be to God.